Conversations with professionals for professionals in the laundry and linen services industry. This is the American Laundry News Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Matt Poe, editor of American Laundry News. This is episode 30 of the American Laundry News Podcast, Laundry Service Contract Essentials. My guest today to discuss contracts is Stephen Fellman. Stephen is of counsel to the Washington, D.C. law firm GKG Law PC. He has been representing textile service companies for more than 50 years and has served as general counsel of TRSA, authoring its text on contracts. He has lectured on textile service contracts at industry meetings, webinars, and at clean show educational sessions. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you, Matt. Now, before we start, I just want to let the listeners know that our conversation is informational in nature. It's not legal advice. So whatever your specific situation is, please contact your own attorney. Let's start out then, Stephen, at the ground level, beginning with what essentially is the purpose of a contract. purpose of a contract is really to define what two parties agree to, a buyer and a seller. Often people seem to lose recollection of exactly what they said. And you get a situation where if there's no written document that confirms exactly what each party agreed to, a disagreement arises and there's no way to prove who's right or wrong. So a contract really memorializes an agreement between two parties. Okay, so describe the basic elements of a contract. Okay, uh, basic elements would include Number one, what the offer is. In other words, what the service provider is offering to the customer, what the customer agrees to pay, and what the terms are in terms of delivery. So you have an offer, you have an acceptance by the customer, and you have the basic terms. And that includes the payment, which is called consideration. And under the laws of most states, any contract that involves more than $500 has to be in writing and signed by both parties. So in laundry and linen services, what are the main types of contracts that are used? Well, you have basically NOG contracts, which would be not the laundry's goods. These would be laundry just doing a wash job on the customer's goods. Second thing would be a rental contract. And the rental contract would be the customer agreeing to uh, rent linens uniforms provided by the laundry. And you may have some contracts that are a combination of both. Then contracts have different means of payments. If it's a laundry contract, uh, it could be strictly payment on basis of poundage. If it's a rental contract, it probably will be payments on piece by piece. Finally, you can have some more sophisticated contracts where, for instance, in a healthcare contract for a major hospital, uh, you may have payments based on uh, patient days and number of beds in the hospital. So you have a varied types of contracts and you have to design your contract to basically meet not only your needs, but also your customers' needs. So tell me a little bit about, in terms of laundry contracts, what's unique to this industry? I think one thing that's unique is that it's hard to define exactly what the customer expects and what you're gonna give in terms of being clean. The customer is obviously asking you to either clean their goods, wash their goods, bring them back clean, or provide rental goods that are, quote, clean or unclean. But what does that mean? And not only clean, but in terms of if you're pressing goods, what is an unwrinkled good? What's the condition? 
what does the customer expect from you? And what do you expect in terms of cleanliness? And you address that issue by putting a clause in the contract that says something to the effect that the goods will be provided in accord with industry standards and that if the customer has a complaint, the customer has to make the complaint in writing and you get 30 days to correct it. So at least you can discuss that issue. Another thing is lost goods. People seem to feel that a towel or a washcloth that they get in a hotel or a country club or something like that, you know, that they can take it with them or they can use it for cleaning up some some mess and basically degrades the product. So how do you address that kind of an issue? Another question is, you're dealing with deliveries. What happens in the events of a major catastrophe? Your trucks can't get there. And how do you deal with that kind of issue? So there are a lot of unique situations within the laundry industry that need to be addressed, and they're going to vary from customer to customer. So what would you consider, in general, a good laundry and linen services contract then? I think a contract that really involves the laundry looking at the needs of the customer and determining what those needs are. Then providing a service that best meets those needs and explaining very carefully to the customer exactly what they're doing and how they're going to do it. So that when the document is signed, there are no surprises at the end. I've heard people, and when I first started practicing, you know, the idea was I can draft a contract that really will tie the customer up in knots and be very beneficial to my client and really not so great for the customer. It took me a couple of years to realize that that doesn't work. Uh, Yeah, the laundry can give the customer that kind of contract, but eventually the customer is going to realize that he's been taken advantage of and you're going to have an unhappy customer. And in the service industry, if you have an unhappy customer, you're going to have a bad relationship and it's going to be difficult for both parties. You want happy customers and happy customers require fair contracts. Those are the kinds of issues that you really have to get into. We've kind of started talking a little bit about my next question and that deals with what steps can a laundry linen service operator take to create the best contract possible and from what you were just saying, including beneficial to the customer. What steps can they take? I think the parties have to understand exactly how the service is going to be provided and they have to understand inventory concepts. I think the textile rental company has to go in there and figure out what the customer actually needs and distinguish from what the customer thinks that the customer needs. The best example of that would be a a hospital where uh, you go in there and you make your initial inventory analysis and you think that they need so many sheets and so many towels and so many pillowcases, etc. And they tell you that they've been using 40% more than that. If you're experienced, what you do is you take your hospital administrator and you walk on each floor and by some head nurse's station, you open a cabinet and there's a week supply of towels, sheets, pillowcases, because the head nurse, she's scared that one day no delivery is going to be made. You have to figure out what that is. You also have to figure out that each customer may be asking you for something that's going to cost them more. For instance, they want a special color in a tablecloth or a napkin or a special fabric, or they have a special design that they want. So it's going to be good that you're going to have to purchase just for them. And if you're going to do that, you have to put a buyback clause in your contract. What happens when they want out? And you say, well, you know, they can't get out. 
I think the better answer is there's a buyout provision. And so, yeah, you can get out of this contract, but if you breach this contract, you know, you want out, you don't have a valid reason, you just want to go, this is what you have to pay. And then you have an enforceable document. Those kinds of issues are things that you have to go into in a contract. So then what should operators be cautious about when they're negotiating a contract with a customer? I think that they should make sure that number one, the person who they're negotiating with is authorized to negotiate. Let's say you're dealing with a small restaurant and you get a call, you go in there, they don't have service now, you're gonna put in service, not a big deal. And you talk to someone there and he says uh, he's a manager, but is he uh, authorized to execute a contract? Second thing, you know, I think you have to look at is, is there another supplier? Is that other supplier gonna allege that you induce that customer to breach his contract, which is something that you can't do? Uh, You can certainly solicit the customer at the end of the contract, but you can't tell them, hey, I want you to breach this contract and take my service. There is no other contract and you have to have a basis for that. You also need to have a good understanding that when you go into the account, the term of the, contract is a reasonable term. A lot of textile rental companies and, and laundries, they have what they call evergreen contracts. It's an automatic renewal contract, which basically says that, you know, after a period of one year or three years, it automatically renews for another term. If you rely on those kinds of contracts, what happens is that after a second or third renewal, everything is different. You have probably different needs of the account. You may have different ownership, different management. And you stand up, you're saying, I have this document. And the document really relates to that location rather than that customer. So yes, it's a restaurant. But when you signed the contract, it was an Italian restaurant. Now it's a Chinese restaurant. There's a need to just keep things up to date. Who can an operator turn to in order to help them negotiate contracts? Well, just clearly go to a lawyer. And one of the things that you mentioned at the outset here is that before you really have a contract, you ought to talk to a lawyer in terms of legal documents. And the law is different in every state with regard to enforcement of contract terms. There's usually no specific state statute which says that this is what a contract has to have outside of certain basic things. But in terms of, let's say, the buyback provisions, the evergreen provisions, in terms of uh, how do you determine liquidated damages, the law of each state is going to be different. So you want to make sure that your contract complies. And if you're a multi-state operator, you have to make sure that the laws of each state uh, meet the contract that you provide. So a contract that you have in one state with a certain formula for liquidated damages going to be different than a contract you might have in another state which really doesn't recognize liquidated damages. And I think you need to take the time to take your lawyer through the laundry. Take him through the laundry so that when he's drafting the document, he really has an idea of what he's looking at. So what would you say to a laundry operator who has some customers that they don't have contracts with, or maybe they don't use them because they think they're a small operation, or they have their reasons? What would what would you say to them? I would say they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. If you and I are walking down the street, and we see a gentleman with a cup in his hand, 
And he said, would you give me a buck, please? Oh, you know, maybe we would do that. If he said, would you give me a thousand dollars? I'm not, and I'm sure you're not. And same way, if you have a customer who, let's say, has a small restaurant, and he wants table linen and a couple of uniforms, bar mops, stuff like that, and says, you know, we don't need a contract, you know, this is what we'll do. Now, you're putting your stuff, which has value, and you're giving it to that guy, and you have no, nothing to basically define what your terms and conditions are. That's number one. You're inviting him to steal. The second thing is that your company has value, and you, you need to know what that value is for your own purposes, just how much you work. And you need eventually to go to a bank and let's say you want to buy new equipment and you want to finance the equipment and the bank will say, okay, you know, what volume do you have? And this is my volume. And they said, well, bank will say, what are your, let me see your contract. And so they get an idea that, you know, that's a sustainable volume. And the third thing is eventually you may want to sell your business and the company or person buying your business will look again see what kind of contracts you have are those contracts assignable in other words do you have the right to assign that contract if you don't have the right to assign the business as soon as you walk out of there everybody is a competitor is going to go for the business so it has much less value on the market it's silly not to have a contract even if it's a one-page document that sounds like a kind of a major mistake to have there. But what are some common mistakes or maybe overlooked elements in laundry contracts? Recognizing that you need to have a specific buyback clause that I mentioned earlier. If something happens, this is, I'm going to buy the, I have to buy the women's back. A contract is easy to get into and often hard to get out of. So you always have to look at what happens if on the way out. What happens if, if the customer doesn't think that the goods are? You don't want to give the customer an easy out. You may also want to consider that, especially in crazy times like we're in now, your costs may go berserk. Energy costs could go crazy. Environmental costs could go crazy. Labor costs could go crazy. Your costs of providing a safe environment for your employees may increase your costs. And so you need to have a contract that provides you with some flexibility for showing, being able to show, for instance, that your environmental costs have gone up by X percent, so you can increase the cost of your contract by X percent. And that kind of flexibility is very important to have. Another thing you need to do is you need to know what your costs are. You may say that customer comes to you and says, let's just say I can get my wash done just on a straight wash job for, just let's say, 25 cents a pound. And you think that your normal cost is 35 cents a pound, but you want that business. So you say, okay, I'll match that cost, 25 cents a pound. But if your cost of providing that service is 30 cents a pound, you're getting volume, but you're losing money. This is something where you really should put some time and effort. One last question for you. If listeners walked away from this podcast remembering only one thing, one piece of advice, what would you want that to be? I would want it to be this. A contract is supposed to be a meeting of the minds. So I'm making an offer and the other guy is accepting the offer. And you should ensure that when that contract is drawn, it really reflects a clear understanding on both parties' part as to what the obligations of each other are. 
you know, it's a indication that, hey, this is what we've agreed to. Make sure everybody understands what we're actually agreeing to. All right. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for listening. For the American Laundry News Podcast, this is Matt Poe reminding everybody to keep it clean. The American Laundry News Podcast is a production of American Trade Magazine's LLC in Chicago. The music, titled Holding On, composed by Poddington Bear, is supplied through the Free Music Archive. For more information about future podcasts, visit our website at AmericanLaundryNews.com or consult The Wire, our weekly e-newsletter. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter to stay informed about these podcasts, along with news and information from around the industry. This has been the American Laundry News Podcast. 